0: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 178, Board Game Universes. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you an ad-free episode.
1: You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of
0: like Voltron but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at DicetowerNetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast with board gamers Anthony and insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. Anthony, it is the dog days of summer, which means board gaming everywhere, convention season coming up, and of course, just like every other good summer, it's totally epic summer movie season so have you gotten out have you gotten to see some of those big summer blockbusters yeah yeah i'm doing pretty good this year
1: uh the last couple of years i saw literally nothing because okay. i just moved to pittsburgh and i had a uh, a baby they're a little bit older now they're in school daycare whatever and if i can get done early enough i can catch the matinees sometimes so yeah saw ant-man last week okay good good i liked it nice um, I, i'd say it's a little bit better than the first one which oh, i good. also liked fine it's yeah. fine. It's like the mid-tier Marvel movies. It's fine. But this one's a little bit better than that. So, And it was, a nice, it was a nice breather after Infinity War, which was so exhausting.
0: I wish Edgar Wright had the whole Ant-Man film, but he had a little kind of part into it. And I generally liked Ant-Man, so hearing that the next one's even a little bit better is great. I haven't gotten a chance to see that yet. It's definitely on my schedule. Although I did get to see probably the big summer blockbuster that everyone's been talking about, Won't You Be My Neighbor?, So it's the the Mr. Rogers stories for, uh, you know, everyone out there.
1: Yeah, somehow I haven't seen this yet, even though he's from where I live. Yes. (laughs) It's been in the theater here for several weeks now. Lots of people I know have seen it. My mother-in-law has seen it twice, I think. Just funny for a documentary, but Pittsburghers are very proud of Mr. Rogers, as they
0: should be. You know what's funny, too? When I went to go see Solo, a Star Wars story, there was only two other people in the theater. When I went to go see... (laughs) The Mister Rogers movie. There was about, I would say, a dozen to about eighteen people in the theater, and I was like, okay, all right, I see what's going on here. We, you know, and when I was in my doctoral program and I was working on child development, I actually got to work at the Arsenal School in Pittsburgh, where Mister Rogers actually worked in at a time. So I'm, I'm pretty much like so thrilled that this film came out. And the surprising thing is. You know, you watch Mr. Rogers, you're like, oh, that's a really great guy, inspirational, great with the kids. He was a total badass. Like the things that he was doing with his show and what he was facing and how he was providing content, quality content to children was against everything out there, against the grain of everything. So it's truly inspiring. I definitely recommend it. It's it's a really good film. You'll cry a little bit if you're a Mr. Rogers fan or you watch it growing up, but it's not a tearjerker. It's like, this is a man's life and you get to see you know, his story from the very beginning. It's amazing. And it just reminds, you know, me about providing the best content possible without having to be like kind of insane, crazy nonsense, kind of there just to, just to gaslight you. We were here to provide top quality content about something that's important gamers and having that great social interaction with each other so mr rogers rocks he should definitely be added to the marvel cinematic universe (laughs) Uh, i think he would take care of thanos without a problem not not even an issue so check out those great films but we're also talking about those films because we are talking about great board game universes now more and more these days publishers are building tremendous brands around their different IPs that they either create themselves or are able to pick up. And the games themselves have more and more started to be able to connect e- to each other. So a real, real fun dynamic there. And Anthony and I really enjoy that a lot.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of... Anytime you can take something and, you know, if it's new and it builds on a previous experience, that's a lot of fun. But it's a fine line because it needs to be independent at the same time. So... A lot of the games we're going to talk about in this are games that you could play and just enjoy. Or if you've played like the larger universe of games in that series, you get a lot more out of it, which very similar to like a Marvel movie, just makes it more fun for people who are like serious fan.
0: Okay, so we'll talk about all that in our feature view. But before we get into our feature view, what does everyone else have to say, Anthony? What's our question of the week?
1: Alrighty. So the question of the week this week is actually tied directly into our feature. So I asked this. I don't remember which came first, chicken or egg here, whether you threw this up as a topic or I threw it as a question. I think you put it up as a topic and I thought it would make a good question. Just kind of as a teaser, some of the stuff people are talking about that I thought was interesting to talk about, at least. We have mentions of, and again, the question here is, what's your favorite board game universe that has appeared in multiple games, strictly for tabletop games? So we've excluded the Star Wars and Game of Thrones and Cthulhu (laughs) from this because that would probably take over and as a result we didn't get a ton of answers (laughs) but i do find it very interesting because we're increasingly getting more ips that are original board game ips and are expanding into things like books and maybe someday we'll even get like television series and other types of things out of these but for now we have these great board game series willie mentioned seasons as well as lords of zidit they tie together two very different games but um, taking place in the same very visually arresting universe um daniel mentions twilight imperium which hasn't that universe has not shown up in a lot of games from fantasy flight for some reason because there's a lot of lore behind the game they have the ti series and then they have was it rex was a game like a re-implementation of dune in that series aeon's end someone mentioned as a kind of growing universe it's starting to show up in more games so lots of stuff here and then a few few mentions here as well of games that we're going to talk about a little bit later so you know we'll delve a little bit deeper into those and not spoil our whole list up front, but in general, people are very excited about these things. And if you get into it and you love it, then it, you just kind of stick with it, even, you know, sight unseen buying games. Some people just buy any Terranoth game, regardless of the mechanics. And um, I can get that because I do that with Star Wars. So,
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Anthony, I'm going to go with the universe that has not been created yet, but I am pushing for the creation of it. Everyone knows Century Spice Road, but a number of us, the the true, true, hardcore, and by hardcore I mean as in the hard crystals of the Golem edition of Century Spice Road is out there and really interesting. If you actually take a look at the little mini lore that comes along with the game, it's all about these Golems that come to life by these soul stones or these gems that they have. So we know already that, Plan B has a plan for their Century Spice Road games to make up a trilogy. I'm waiting for the Golem edition to see how that expands upon the lore. So for Plan B, hopefully that's a big hint out to you guys so that you can actually continue that universe alongside. It could be an alternate universe alongside the spices. you know. So you have the spice must flow and somehow the uh, gems must do the same. So... That's my hopeful little bit of a a, uh, cinematic slash board game universe. All right. So if you want to jump in on all the fun that comes along with our question of the week, don't forget our question week comes out on Facebook and Twitter every day. You can also find all of our content on BoardGamersAnonymous.com. We have a guild on Board Game Geek. And we really appreciate if you take the time to jump over to iTunes and Stitcher and drop us a review. A couple of stars means a big difference to us and we love to hear what you have to say. Of course, you have our email addresses on the website. Our YouTube channel has our podcast and some videos there. And especially big thanks to our Patreon backers for supporting us on our episodes. You can check all of the information about Patreon at patreon.com backslash BGA. All right, Anthony, so that's all about our universes. Let's talk about future universes that are going to be coming to the table. So what's your acquisition disorder for this week?
1: All right. So this is a game that I had a chance to demo at Origins uh, last month, and it just hit Kickstarter um, a day or two ago, and it's up until August 1st. So you guys have a little bit of time if you want to check it out. It's called Rurik Dawn of Kiev. Um, It's from Peacekeeper Games, and they previously had a couple of games, but a lot smaller, um, Flag Dash and Gearworks, um, smaller box games that they released. Uh, from Kickstarter. This game is a little bit bigger in scope. So you have this relatively big map. It's got it's carved up into you know different sections. It might remind you a little bit in terms of aesthetics and the size of these spaces of like the the more modern area control games like a Blood Rage or an Inish or Rising Sun. Not necessarily the, those aesthetics, but that kind of take on like the way the map's built. The reason the game is really interesting to me is you know, it's got the basic core mechanics. You have miniatures that are going to go on the board. They're going to fight each other based on relatively limited um, me- mechanics, really just like who has the most and then what cards you play. The, the thing that's interesting to me, though, about this game is the other things kind of built around that. And mostly it's the bidding mechanism. So the way it works is there are several different action types in the game, there's six different actions you can take. So you can muster to put more troops out, you can move them, you can attack, you can build things, there's different types of buildings you can put out that give you different bonuses and effects, depending on where you put them. You can tax to pull resources and goods from the map based on where you have control, and you can scheme to get new cards. But to actually take these actions, you'll be bidding with your meeples. So you have meeples numbered one to five, and you start the game with. Less than five, and the numbers are not necessarily you know consecutive, but they're in that range. And when you are bidding, you'll place your meeple in one of these columns, and you'll go around and take turns doing this, and they go in numerical order from highest to lowest. So if you throw your big five out there on attack at the top, you're probably going to get the best attack action, um, but you've used your five. And when you resolve, it goes from lowest number to highest. So even though somebody might have gotten a worse attack action than you, because the actions get less powerful as they go down the column, they get to go first, which might upset what you're trying to do. So it's a really interesting kind of game of give and take, where maybe you put a lower number out there, and you know people are going to outbid you, but you're okay with that, because you can afford to take a lighter action, and you want to go first. You can spend money, too, to jump ahead in the bidding, so... If somebody plays a five and you want to play your three, throw three money on there and now you have a six. That's kind of seems to be the core of the game in terms of interaction. And, you know, auction games in general are always interesting. Um, But I think I like this one in particular because it does add those different things you have to think about which actions you want to take, how much of it you want to take, if you need to go first, if that matters or not. And it frequently will. The other part of this that's interesting is that you'll be picking up goods along the way and putting them on your boat. You don't see shipping goods usually in this type of game, in like an area control game, but it is an interesting kind of spin on it where you are trying to complete different types of things. So you're trying to get sets of goods, putting different types of buildings next to each other, controlling different numbers of lands, and then you're going to move up on this track for each of these based on how many of these different things you complete. So there's ruling, building, and trading. So how many lands you have, how many of them are next to each other. Uh, with the buildings and then how many goods you have and balancing those three and moving up the track is going to determine how many points you get and that's how you're going to win the game after four rounds so it's like this funny twist of euro mechanics and auction bidding and area control um kind of all mashed together and I didn't get a full play of it because it was a demo, of course. Played like two rounds, I think. But from what I did play, it is very, very interesting. And I'm excited to see the, the finished version of this. So that is Rurik, Dawn of Kiev. It's on a uh,
0: Kickstarter right now. All right, Anthony. So for my acquisition disorder this week, it's the brand new game from Plan B Games. Azul, Stained Glasses Sintra. Basically, what we're looking at here is, once again, utilizing some of the elements from Golem Edition. So you have these really bright and colorful plastic crystals, you also have elements of Azul as far as having these different round tiles in which you're going to be drafting the different pieces to fill into your own specific tableau, and a little bit of the Sagrada, where you're building up these beautiful stained glass windows. So from what we can tell about this game, because there really isn't a lot of information out, the rules are not out yet for the game but it will be released at this upcoming Essence, so hopefully we'll get to see it at PAX Unplugged. You're going to be able to pick what pieces you want to add to your stained glass windows in order to score, obviously, the most points possible. So if you're not thinking that you're going to be able to pull in a lot of the blue crystals for your stained glass, then just don't pick that part of the board. So there's actually kind of like little slivers that you'll be able to put together that makes up this beautiful glass window. So throughout the game, you're picking up these pieces, you're putting them as part of your glass, they're moving over in a particular way, and then if you're able to kind of complete the different slivers, you're scoring the maximum points in the game. So this is, yet again, another game from Michael Kiesling. He already brought us Azul, and he's brought us a number of other games that we enjoy, like Vikings, Heaven and Ale, uh, one of my favorites, The Palace of Carrera. So, really looking forward to this game. Another really interesting abstract in there, I guess, supposed to be four letter line, but I guess they kind of, you know, snubbed it a little bit and went with a little kind of undertitle there. But looks like a pretty interesting game to come up. All right, Anthony. So, that's our acquisition disorders. Everyone keep an eye out for those. If you do see them, let us know. BoardGamersAnonymous.com. Anthony, we are getting on to the heavy stuff. We're going to talk about the games that have been hitting our table. So for our at the table this week, we are going to be talking about two games that recently hit our table. Let you know if those games are a buy and you should run out and pick those games up. If they're a play and you should sit down at the table when someone has those out. If they're a dodge and you should just pretty much avoid that table at all costs. And if the game's a dreaded burn, just run the other way and let that game bake in the sun. All right, Anthony. So you got a game to your table this week. What'd you play?
1: all right i got a couple light ones i'm gonna go through real quick the first one is the third kenner spiel this year nominee the one we haven't talked about yet guns shown clever this is a roll and write game from wolfgang warsh it was nominated for three awards this year in various categories and it is not out in the us yet i don't know if it will come here or not there's a lot of Roll and rights so i don't know what the demand is for this but it is one of the better, more interesting roll and write games I've played in a while. Take of that what you will, (laughs) whether you like roll and write games or not. So the the way the game works is you're going to roll a certain number of dice at the beginning of the round, and then you're going to choose one of those dice and use the action on it. So there's six of them. They correspond to five different colors. And then there's a white die. Um, there's yellow, blue, green, orange, purple. Each of those colors has a different section of your sheet and they each fill in in different ways and they all give you points in some way. The interesting thing is, is that as you complete different rows and columns, you are going to activate special abilities. Usually they are combos that allow you to, let's say you fill out the first column of the blue row, it gives you a free placement in the orange row. If you happen to be in the right place in the orange row, that can then give you a free placement on the yellow row, on the yellow box, which can then give you a free placement back in the green row and so on and so forth. So you're trying to build up these chains to get as many placements on your mat as possible. But at the same time, if you go for these bonuses, you're not going for the points necessarily. So you gotta be careful and kind of balance the two out. Uh, On your turn, you're gonna roll those six dice, you pick one, any die with a lower number than the one you picked, goes into this central pool, you can now not use those. So you don't want to just jump for, straight for the high number die because you're going to pick three. Uh, so you pick the one, you resolve it, you roll the rest, you pick another one, you resolve it, you roll the rest, you pick one more. Do so you want to make sure you give yourself a chance to get all three dice? Now the cool part about this is any die that you put into that central pool, uh, that you didn't use other people can now use. So it goes around the table and everybody can pick one of those dice and write it in on their sheet however they want. So it's kind of an interesting mechanic. If for whatever reason, they can't use any of the dice that are listed there, they can pick from other dice, which is, uh, you know, a a different way to just to make sure they always get that extra action. So you go around and do this a set number of rounds, depending on how many players you have with four players, it's four rounds, three is five, two is six. Um, It has a solo mode, of course, which I love. And the scores end up being kind of ridiculously high, uh, somewhere between like 150 and 300. There's just a lot of ways to score points in this game. Um, there's extra special abilities you unlock, like plus one die that you can take or rerolls. And the really cool thing, because you can't get this in the U.S., uh, is that there's a way to play it online. So if you type in Ganshoun Clever online into Google... It'll show up there. It's on a German website, which I'm not even going to try to pronounce, but I'll put the link in the show notes as well. And you can go through and you can play this game and it runs perfectly well. It works on the iPad and your phone and you can play the Kennerspiel nominee and see if you like it or not. (laughs) A game of this playing it solo takes like five minutes. So you can play it a whole bunch, which I've done. I would totally buy this if it were available. As it is, I'm playing it a lot. So it's definitely worth checking out. I have had a chance to play the paper version as well. Um, one of the people in my game group does have it. So I um, have played it with a group of people and have had quite a bit of fun with it. But again, it's a roll and write. So if you like roll and writes, you will almost certainly like this. If you don't like them, I don't know if it'll change your mind or not. <laughs> but for me, I like them. I like this one a lot. It's one of the better ones I've played. Um, all right. And then the other game real quick that I wanted to mention uh, is actually an expansion. This is the King Domino Age of Giants expansion. So this is a much simpler expansion of the uh, King Domino universe than Queen Domino, which was a whole new game with new mechanics that raised the weight by a a good half a point. This only adds one thing. It adds these little giants. So the way it works is you mix in all the new tiles. There are 12 of them. Six have giants, six have giant footprints, and you mix it up with all of the tiles. So now you're going to use every tile that's in the game, all 60 of them, and you will put them in this tower, you can put them in this tower, you don't have to, but you can put them in this giant tower that will now allow you to dispense them as needed. And every round, you're going to put out five tiles. And depending on how many players you have, you're going to remove some from that stack. So, you now you can play five players. You will take out two. If you're playing with three people, you'll take out one, if you're playing with four, and you'll take out one, if you're playing with two, and then you do the same thing that you always did before. And you take two tiles. The difference now is if you get stuck with a giant tile. Um, These have letters on them, so they go at the top. They will put a giant on your board somewhere, on your tableau, and it'll block a crown. So it eats up points. But if you get a tile with footprints on it, you can then take that giant and put it on someone else's tableau. You can end up yo-yoing back and forth a little bit. If you get stuck with a giant... You hope that the next time out one of the uh the footprints comes out, because the footprints are the highest numbered ones, so they are at the bottom always. And then you can jump down there and get rid of your giant, but now you're at the bottom again, so maybe you'll get another giant next time. So you have to kind of balance it out a little bit. I like it. It adds at least one new mechanism here that's simple, doesn't take a whole lot of extra time to teach. The big reason I would recommend this expansion though, the giants are fun and I love the tower, but the real big reason that I'd recommend it is it comes with 15 challenge tiles. And each of these tiles has a different condition on it that will give you bonus points. So in the base game, it said something like, oh, for advanced play, try to get your castle in the middle of your five by five, and you get bonus points. Okay. Or get a perfect five by five. In this, you now have more than a dozen different ways you can do it. Like get these types of terrain in the corners, build this pattern, build all these terrain types around your castle. And every time you do that, it's worth a certain amount of points. At the beginning of every game, you take two of those tiles and pull them out. So you're going to have... Lots and lots of different ways to play, and people always have something to work towards. So it adds a little bit of depth to what was a very light game, but not so much depth like Queen Domino did that it defeats the purpose of the game. It doesn't make it longer at all. The game is exact same length as it always was. A little bit more to think about, though. And now it also comes with a score pad, um, which is in with the uh, the expansion, which is a nice plus. So if you have King Domino, I'd say Age of Giants is a buy. Uh, It is... It adds a bunch of cool stuff. You get a great tower. The only problem I have with the tower is it doesn't fit in the original box. So uh,
0: you have to keep both boxes. But otherwise, good stuff. Now with the expansion, is it better than Queen Domino? Would you recommend having both? Should you get rid of one and have the other?
1: Yeah, it's tough. I liked Queen Domino more than King Domino. Um, It's a little bit more of a game. But it never gets played. Because the reason King Domino gets played and people like it is it takes 10 minutes. And it's a good filler. Queen Domino doubles up on that. You can play this expansion with Queen Domino. You can mix all the stuff together if you want and create giant 7 by 7 grids with giants and knights <laughs> and dragons and all those you know, special tiles. So if you really like this game and the series of stuff and want all the options there, then yeah, get Queen Domino. If you just want a light 15-minute filler game with a little bit more options to it, then King Domino with the expansion is probably the way to go.
0: All right, so another game to add to our board game universes. All right, so the game that I got to the table this week was Sorcerer and Stones. This is is another game by Empire S5 Games and distributed by Deepwater Games. Now, this game is really interesting. You probably noticed it from its beautiful artwork that is on the cover and in the cards. This is from Stefan Taz. And what you're trying to do during this game is you'll be traveling back and forth in the ancient kingdom in order to attain enlightenment by controlling spiritual stones and chi for life energy. So basically what the game comes down to is a really interesting abstract game where you'll have your initial pawn on this modular board, which you set up with these different very large colored cubes, and then utilizing a deck of cards in which you'll be taking four cards— You're going to be playing those four cards as actions. So there's actions such as fly, where you can take your pawn, place it somewhere else on the board. There's quake, where you'll be able to pick up your tile and move it to a different part of the tiles that are already situated. Or you can also spin your tile, or you can actually move the different elemental stones on the board. Basically, why you're doing this is because you're trying to line the stones or these cubes up in such a way that they're either diagonal or orthogonal in in, in either two or threes or fours so that the stones on your particular little board that you're sitting on matches what's going out across the board. If you do so, you'll be able to take one of those stones into your own personal supply. Now, why this is necessary is for two reasons. First off, there are some bonus action and scoring cards. So, you might have a card that says, if you take a stone on a line of four or five, You get a couple of chi points, and that's really effective of scoring points throughout the game. If you happen to take a stone of your color player, then you're going to be able to get an additional kind of chi stone in the game. But basically, other than those special conditions that are kind of randomly set up, and and there's a number of different options there, which I really do like, once you take those stones, those different colored stones are going to allow you to move a number of different spaces on this spiritual plane. What you're doing on the spiritual plane is you're taking your little marker and you're trying to get over to all the different elements on this little spiritual board. By getting each one of these element tiles, and they'll have different points scoring on each of these tiles, you'll be able to make up a collection of five, and that will be one of the possible end conditions of the game. Now, other than moving on the board and scoring points with these special conditions, you'll also be able to craft artifacts. artifacts Artifacts are worth three points in the game once again beautiful artwork here and at the end of the game if all the artifacts are gone if someone has collected all five of those tokens you're going to basically score up all those little cheap points think kind of like race for the galaxy has those kind of little points same thing here and then you're going to count up all your artifacts you're going to be able to count up your extra stones that match your artifacts and basically that's pretty much it for a game Now, I've played this game at multiple different player counts, and while it's kind of a really brightly colored, artful, interesting abstract, it does kind of overstay its welcome at the larger player count. I'd recommend this game as a play-by at a two-player count, but at the three- and four-player count, the game is just a little bit too long. You would think this game has a lot of AP because the board has constantly changing, But each individual person is going to be doing a lot of things on their turn. And for the weight of this game, it just should be a lot quicker. So once again, for Sorcerer and Stones, if you are looking for a two-player game, this game is a solid play. But if you're looking for the three- or four-player game and this comes out, I would dodge it. Mm,
1: That's unfortunate. Yeah, it looks like the kind of game I would want to play with a bigger group. But I have a lot of games like that for two. I don't know that I would need another one.
0: It just happens to be a little too light and a little too long to play at that player count because there's just a number of little kind of middling actions. They're not really dynamic actions, but it's a beautiful production. Everything works really well in the game, and it it just generally does a really good job. So keep at the small player count, and I think you'll be really happy with the game. All right, Anthony, so we are finally on to our feature review. So for this week, we are talking about... The best board game universes. Now, there's so much to talk about here. I, I think just primarily because the Marvel Cinematic Universe has kind of made this a thing. But it's been around for so many years as far as producing these great trilogies. And it's finally kind of seeped down into board gaming. It's always nice to see. I know for us, we, we tend to be Eurogamers. We do love Amerithrash games. And we do own so many of those So it's kind of like a back and forth type of situation. We love games with great mechanics, but we also love games that have great theme. So now these hybrid games are coming out or now these Euro games with kind of long histories and lores are coming out are really interesting and dynamic. And I really enjoy them a lot. How about you, Anthony?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Like I, I like a certain kind of game most of the time. Like I want a lot of mechanics. I want a lot of depth. I want to be feeling like I'm solving something, but I don't want it to be... Dry as dirt either and especially because it's hard to get people to the table so if you can combine the two and i feel like game companies are getting much better at that where you have consistent theme and ideas that cross between games and you know high theme and lots of fun stuff and backstory doesn't have to mean dice chucking which is what it meant in the past so uh, it's very cool and the result is we're getting these kind of board game universes that are sprouting up and it's starting to expand too and get new games and new ideas into them which is really cool
0: yeah and there's so many of these and they're just kind of growing and some of them are just a little bit light on the touch and some of them are just completely integrated from beginning to end so we want to just touch on the ones that are probably a there's a lighter connection here but definitely worth mentioning so You know, Uwe's garden system that's kind of growing over his last couple of games. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes,
1: Uwe Rosenberg has his uh, puzzle trilogy, which started with Cottage Garden and then Indian Summer last year. And then there's a new one coming out at Gen Con this year, Spring Meadow. (laughs) And um, all of them use the same kind of polyomino mechanics, but they're all a little bit different and they all cross over thematically but also you know visually and aesthetically are they the same universe probably seems to be his backyard and but it's just they they fit together like i probably only need one of these but i'm probably gonna end up owning all three just because i feel like they should go together on the shelf it's true Uh,
0: another great one and something we've talked about a lot and it's won a lot of the awards is Gloomhaven. obviously in and of itself it's amazing dungeon crawl legacy game with a huge amount of lore to it but also what's going to be coming up from isaac is uh, his prequels coming up which is the founders of gloomhaven it's not necessarily going to have the individual characters but it's going to have the races it's going to have the land and basically this is the founding of gloomhaven so should have a little bit of a touch here yeah that'll be a fun one we couldn't have this topic without mentioning
1: simon because they are great at milking their ips as much as they can Mm -hmm. Um, arcadia quest has i think four big boxes out (laughs) at And they've even gone as far as like bringing in other games like Mazmora and it has the same heroes going into those dungeons. Um, They've done the same thing with Zombicide when the Zombicide is even more interesting because those will cross over with other games. So you have like the crossover kits between Zombicide and Massive Darkness, for example. A lot of the time it's kind of a sales tactic, but at the same time, if you like all these games, it's really cool that you can kind of mix and match and move the heroes between them.
0: Yeah, that, that World of Smog game, which is kind of a very abstract game. And then later on, they did a dungeon crawl with that. So just it's all CMON. I, I think they're definitely tapping into that. I mean, there's also the level 99 games so all the world of end eye games, the Argent, the consortium they bring a lot of their characters in, in different games. They just have a rich theme there. A lot of that kind of anime look to it. It's very different in board gaming, but very welcome. Kind of like it spruces up, which tends to be a kind of very dusty, dusty kind of theme. Um, I, I guess we don't, I guess we also shouldn't forget the Manhattan project, uh, Two Minutes to Midnight, the original Manhattan Project, their little mini kind of doomsday box, and I guess Energy Empire, which isn't technically the same mechanics there, but it's still in the same universe as, I guess, in the future, which is where we're living now. It's the – we're not building bombs so much and we're not threatening so much. We're kind of utilizing power. So it's probably the best of all the Manhattan projects as far as the game's concerned, thematically, but also mechanically. So it's also nice to say. Yeah,
1: it's a fun one. Uh, and it, it definitely has the same little meeples and a lot of the same artwork. Yep. Another one is Mice and Mystics in that little universe. So you have Mice and Mystics and its big box expansions. There's a lot of content for that, like 30 plus chapters if you want to go through it. But then also Tail Feathers was released a couple of years ago, which is a flight path system game where all our mice heroes are now flying on birds. And I think they're different heroes. It takes place in a different part of the universe, but there are several references to those original heroes. I'm excited to see if they do more with that universe. I know Tailfeathers didn't do particularly well, but Mice and Mystics is probably their best-selling game to date, so hopefully we see more of
0: that. Yeah, there was also some connections with Kemet and Cyclades. There was actually a crossover conversion pack, so you could actually bring the monsters back and forth between the two Uh, universes i guess either the egyptian theme or the greek island theme and then those are two games i enjoy a lot and i actually picked up the expansion pack because i like to move those monsters really great miniatures
1: yeah yeah that's a lot of fun another series that we can't not mention because it's kind of the pinnacle of narrative and gaming right now is the pandemic legacy series and really pandemic in general but pandemic legacy with season one and two those games have a lot of integration don't really want to go into any of that because we don't want to spoil those games for you but if you want something that's really deep and rich and thematic and kind of reminds you of a television show or a movie series pandemic legacy is a good place to go
0: yeah we can definitely say that they're connected i think that's probably a non-spoiler kind of spoiler because you want that kind of spoiler in advance i mean there's also the aeg universe as far as tempest is concerned with love letter maconte canalis patreon courtier and Dominaire. I mean, just it's, I guess it all started off with love letter where you have this princess that is trying to get this love letter and the queen that's been arrested and all of these cast of characters. And you're like, Oh, this is a quick little fast card game with these interesting characters. I guess so. But then you see all these other games, especially Dominaire, which kind of really kind of enhances the experience of that system as far as trying to control those different areas And they're utilizing those characters and those locations in a number of different games so much so that it's an actual collection that you can pick up and just a lot, a lot of fun. Uh, Another fun one
1: that is a little bit of a deep cut, but for the heavier gamers out there, you'll know this, the Small City universe. Um, It's from Albin Viard, and it started with Small City. I think they're in the fourth version of this game now, and it's this decently heavy Euro about building up a city and running it successfully. But then there's all these other games that kind of spin off of that. So you've got Tramways in which you're running the uh, the subway system in that city and Town Center in which you're building up kind of the core of the city. Card City Excel, which takes some of the ideas from Town Center and turns it into a card game. Uh, most recently the last Kickstarter was for Tramways like a roll and write style puzzle book. So lots of interesting ideas. All these games have very different mechanics but they all kind of Come back to the same city where, and they use the same types of buildings, a lot of the same iconography and design decisions. So, if you play one and then you play another, you'll recognize a lot of the same ideas, and they work similarly within those mechanics, which is a very cool thing, um, especially if you like all these games.
0: Yeah, and from Days of Wonder, Small World way back when had this really interesting dynamic where you're basically playing on this little fantasy realm and all of these different races kind of expanded and then kind of went into decline and these new races popped up. So you had this kind of little history there, but there was also their big box kind of expansion slash its own personal game, which was Underworld, where you had all of these other races that weren't light dwellers so much, but you could actually mix and match the races. There were tunnels, which you can kind of go back down and up There's obviously Sky Islands now as part of that world and rivers and coasts and everything else. So Small World really does a good job as far as creating a universe where all these different races live and and kind of breathe in this type of world. All right. So that's a lot of these different board game universes. Let's kind of talk about the real standouts here. Let's talk about the, uh, the kind of the final four here. What do you got? We we said early
1: on we weren't going to do IPs, but I think we have to do
0: one IP at least. All right, just one, though.
1: No. <laughs> and that's the Ares Games line of War- Lord of the Rings games. They have three. There's a lot of Lord of the Rings games out there, but the Ares line, uh, starting with War of the Ring, going back you know 15 years ago when it was first released by Fantasy Flight, is kind of the pinnacle of taking an IP and building a board game around it where you really feel like you're living that IP. It's my favorite board game, and it's a lot of people's favorite board games, and for good reason. But it's a big, long, meaty two player game. So enter the other two games of the series. Battle of the Five Armies, which takes a lot of the mechanics from War of the Ring, somewhat familiar, and shortens it down and touches on the Hobbit. Or Hunt for the Ring, which is actually the prequel to War of the Ring, because it is everything all the way up until you leave that Shire, and then you get out and you're trying to get to the start of the Fellowship. So the beginning of Fellowship of the Ring, maybe like the first third of that book. And the interesting thing about Hunt for the Ring is it in itself is kind of two pieces put together because you have the first half, which you can play independently from the second half where you're trying to get out of the Shire and then get from the Shire um, to the Elves. And then moving from there, directly connecting into the War of the Ring, you can basically play all the way through all of this Lord of the Rings lore Mechanics are a little bit different, obviously, but the same kind of hidden movement of Hunt for the Ring carries over into War of the Ring because you are still hiding and moving your ring bearers around and the shadow players trying to find them. So love that integration. It works really well, especially for this particular IP. And if you're a huge Lord of the Rings fan, as we both are, then this is like,
0: how can you not own these games, right? Yeah, I really love the fact that you play Hunt for the Ring And then, depending on how that game works out, that's your starting position for the War of the Ring, which is just brilliant and fantastic. And kind of blew me away the first time I heard that. Well, another game that has a rich and deep kind of, I guess, board game universe is Sentinels of the Multiverse. I remember playing this way back when, and it was all about this co-op deck builder, and you were just kind of fighting bad guys. And it was honestly, at the time, and even maybe still to this day, the best superhero game out there, but they didn't stop there. They took all of these tremendous characters that were all based on comic books. You Basically, your deck of cards was all these different comic book covers and action scenes, and obviously came out with comic books. But nonetheless, there was more to it. They have an RPG that just recently came out that talks more about the lore and the history here. They also had a minis game, so you could actually play with miniatures and kind of battle out there. And finally, they had a space version of this game that utilizes either some of the characters or some of the themes here, and that was Galaxy Defenders. This is way back when, but they had a really deep and rich universe. This has recently wrapped up, although you can play on the apps and you can still get these games. But if you're looking for a superhero game, and we're talking about, once again, the kind of cinematic universes, Sentinels of the Multiverse and Greater Than Games has done an outstanding job of growing this kind of theme and, and brand.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's crazy how much they've gotten out of that. Alright, so another one that is crazy how much they've gotten out of it is Terranoth from uh Fantasy Flight Games. This is a their own homegrown IP, and it's been around for well over a decade at this point, and there's a lot of games have been released. Not all of them are in print, but they've all been related in many different ways depending on the mechanics or the characters or sometimes you could take the characters from one and put them in the other so this kind of started way back when with descent and now we have descent second edition which is the current edition that you can get Um, rune wars the original rune wars big epic 4x game Uh, fantasy 4x game which is not particularly common Uh, rune age which is a a little bit smaller um, uh, card game in this series. Rune Bound was a, an adventure game, and they have the third edition out now, which you can pick up and play, and they have several expansions for that. Here is a Terranoth is a new game that was recently announced. It reuses the Warhammer Quest card game mechanics. Um, that one's coming out real soon. Um, one of our favorites, which is unfortunately dead now, uh, Battle Lore 2nd Edition, um, uses a lot of these characters, uh, revamp the original Battle Lore system that everybody loves, and put it in Terranoth. They have an app and a video game. They have books and stories they have an RPG which recently launched with kind of expanding on all this lots and lots of stuff in Terranoth and it's good to see them keep trying it doesn't seem to ever do quite as good as the IPs that they have like Star Wars of course or Game of Thrones but it keeps going the games are interesting there's always some fun new mechanics that they're trying out and a lot of stuff crosses over like if you like the lore here there's going to be a game for you that you would enjoy.
0: Yeah, I really do enjoy these games. They really did a nice job with this theme. And finally, probably the most integrated of any of the board game universes is from one of the newest companies, Plan B Games. We talked about this earlier. Century Spice Road and now Eastern Wonders. Anthony recently reviewed Eastern Wonders on our last episode. And having Century Spice Road, which is kind of a set collection game and just kind of fulfilling these orders. It's a nice gateway game and really enjoyed that game, but that's not it. And from the very beginning, they understood that this was kind of part of a trilogy. So you take that game and now you take their new release Eastern Wonders, which is a great little gateway game as far as pickup and delivers concerned, And that plays on its own. And that's amazing. So each of those games are their separate own game with their own mechanics start to end and yet you can play both of those games together utilizing components from one into the other so now you're playing both those games those universes have collided and there's going to be a third game that's going to utilize components from the first two games so you are actually kind of snowballing up your gameplay and mechanics up into just a little bit more complex a little bit heavier each and every time and having this whole kind of euro universe kind of grow is fantastic and once again we really want to see a golem edition of this so that is our board game universes there are so many more of those out there please let us know which ones you love the most we always love to hear from you all right so that's everything for this week but board gamers anonymous is not done yet check out our own Check out our own podcast universe of additional episodes on patreon.com backslash BGA. And don't forget, every night is game night. It is our solo and co-op spinoff where you can find Anthony and Jason talking about the best games in the industry. All right, so that's everything for this time. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at the table.